This is Learning Innovation, the teaching and learning podcast, also known as LittlePod. We are created by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, located in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. In the spirit of equity, diversity and inclusion, and Nitsitapi Simstan, or real thinking, we play host to a spectrum of guests from the teaching and learning community. As we highlight and explore innovation in education, we hope to kindle warm conversations, expand perspectives, and foster lasting partnerships today, tomorrow, and beyond. The future of learning starts now. Okie, and welcome to episode number 35 of The Little Pod. I hope everyone enjoyed a well-deserved winter break. Today's guest is Lethbridge College's new president and CEO, Brad Donaldson. In this Q&A, we're going to get to know Brad a little bit. We'll hear about his thoughts on his time at the college so far, a little more about his leadership style and priorities, and round it all out with some lighthearted tidbits. Welcome, Brad. Hi, Donna. It's great to be here. So, Brad, how has life been going for you these first few months as president and CEO? My first few months here have been fantastic, enjoyable, and a whole bunch of different adjectives to, to describe it. Someone said it's the vibe, and I said, yeah, it is the vibe. It's the vibe of the, the college and the community, which I'm still exploring and uh, getting to know. Uh, it's been a wonderful journey of discovery for me. Uh, I learn something new every day, which uh, really resonates well with my my style. But more importantly to me, I think it's, you know, what am I learning that I'm able to help the organization, the college, the students, the employees to aspire to what they want to be. And have you had a favorite moment so far? No, not a specific moment. I think it's a, it's a, it's a catalog of moments. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's about discovery. Uh, you know, the first day here, I think it was, uh, I got to see the Hubbard Collection. You know, a collection of stuffed animals representing the the wildlife of this part of the province. And that, you know, I had no idea that that was there. And then to understand how it's being used in our programs and the, the uh, collection continues to grow. And all the other great parts of this institution, from the aquaculture center to the work we're doing on the farm, but internally, all along with the, the Hubbard Collection, the great learning facilities that we have, uh, the teaching facilities, the Trade Center, I could go on and on about the wonderful things that I've seen. And, and just, you know, the physical manifestation really helps me to understand what's important to the institution. And think about the, the Sphere Labs, where we simulate different scenarios for students to learn in. I think it's such a fascinating uh, aspect of teaching and learning and uh, getting to know people is, you know, I've, I've talked about space and things, but really the, it's the people that have really captured me in terms of their their passion, their desire. And uh, they reflect the culture of that I'm finding in Lethbridge is one of collegiality, friendliness, helpfulness. Um, and I guess there's probably one or two people that may not be that way, but I haven't found them yet. And uh, to go back to your, your question, Donna, it's just been a wonderful journey of discovery and learning. Well, that's great to hear. Do you find that Lethbridge College is different or similar to other post-secondary uh, institutions that you've been at? Yeah, the, the institute. I've been read your 
Gwinnett was a college uh, state as both a dean and a vice president of academic and, and now Lethbridge College. So three different institutions that I've had the, the pleasure and honor of, of working in. At the core, the desire to, to help people, to, to inspire learning and, and enable that learning really is a common thread. Uh, cultures are a little bit different across each one of them. Um, some are a little more corporate in their approach to governance and, and policymaking and, and leadership. Uh, but fundamentally, we, we're all here for the same purpose. And really, that is the, the common throughout. So it sounds like you're seeing a, many similarities. Yeah, there's many similarities. And it, it's rooted in the passion of people. That makes sense. Um, has this institution surprised you in any way? There has been some surprises here. I, mean, I talked about uh, the Hubbard Collection and some of the teaching and learning space, which is uh, a very new for me to see. So there was a bit of a surprise. Um, I think Lethbridge as a whole is a bit of a surprise. You know, you know I get around the community and see the, the Japanese gardens and uh, Fort Whoopup and the cultural aspects that... Uh, not sure why, but seem to be tucked in the corner of the province, but they're so enriching and there's so much culture and community here that uh, um, for someone who hadn't lived in Lethbridge was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, a very pleasant surprise, of course. Um, this is a great place. Well, that's great to hear. I'd love to talk to you about innovation. This is, after mm -hmm. all, the, the Learning Innovation podcast, um, which will tie nicely with your uh, doctoral dissertation um, that you wrote on this very topic. In your dissertation, three British Columbia colleges were studied to understand how executive teams lead innovation or led innovation and enabled or failed to enable experimentation in an economic climate of decreasing funding, which is, of course, very relevant to all of us in post-secondary education. Um, what's interesting is that the research concluded there is no strong evidence that an executive team will succeed in creating adaptation through innovation via novel experimentation. So that surprised me. Um, did these findings surprise you too? The, the findings were a bit of a surprise and maybe not a surprise. Uh, one of the hardest organizations to lead is one that is full of people. And uh, my genesis or basis for doing this kind of work was to figure out how could a people-driven organization become one that's more innovative and adaptive. Given the framework of, of higher education and the governance and all the other factors that play into the culture, I was looking to, to understand whether people are given the absolute freedom to try things. Uh, but not novel experimentation is simply that, that you look at the work you're doing and are you supported and, and led in trying something different? Uh, it does happen. Um, there's no doubt about it. That's largely why many institutions are so successful. But as a leadership direction, uh, that I didn't find that specifically. But it needs to be there. And uh, to, to get to so if you, if you're doing something and you want to try something, a lot of people don't feel comfortable. They they don't feel that they're empowered. They don't feel that they are willing to take the risk. Um, I think people at the core are afraid of trying something and not seeing success. But I look at it from a different perspective. When you try something uh, with with genuine purpose and intent to, to create something better, 
it may not work. And that's the, the nature of innovation. It, it has risk. And if there's risk, then there is an opportunity that it won't work as, as well as you thought it might. What we don't do a very good job of, though, is when we try something, if we're, if we're allowed to try something and somebody's given that freedom, that when something happens that was unintended or didn't give the great result that you wanted, we tend to step back and, and perhaps say there was some excuse or some reason why. And there always is a reason why, but what do we learn from that? And so this is really the underpinning of how you create a learning organization, is that you give people the space and the opportunity to try something new if it works fine that you know well done and how do we make it work across the organization if it doesn't work how do we step back and learn um, i've always found interesting paradox in, in 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 colleges and polytechnics that we're an institution that is here for learning yet we aren't great learners ourselves in many ways so how do we create that culture that the the great ideas are are being grown across the organization it's not the latest uh, management direction. It's you know sometimes called the fad of the month, or if I wait long enough, that too shall pass. It's how do we get that, that desire to learn and try to improve so that uh, ultimately the people that benefit are the students who are here entrusting us for their future, but also for our employees that we're giving them the opportunity to, to grow and develop and aspire to something that they might want to be. There's a certain amount of vulnerability yeah. in, in learning. Th- there is. Uh, Learning by its nature means that sometimes I don't learn as fast as I want, or I don't, I just can't grasp it. And there are aspects, you know, certain people are aligned to certain uh, types of learning styles and certain topics and certain uh, disciplines. Um, I'm an engineer originally. Uh, I was never very good at languages, and that might have been a mental block of my own. But the point I'm making is that people have areas that they, they, they we tend to want to learn in areas that we think we can do well. Um, if we can change that a little bit to to get outside of your comfort zone, you might be surprised at what you're capable of doing. Can you talk a little bit about um, the research involved with this paper? Certainly. Uh, it involved uh, creating a, a, a survey, a, a verbal survey, a question survey. And I interviewed uh, the executive leadership teams at three colleges in, in British Columbia. The questions were worded and trying to elicit um, experiences at the college that the executives had led that would enable that uh, experimentation within the organization. All the institutions are very good at, at creating innovative space around something new that's seen as a program or a direction by leadership. But it was really to uncover that essence of the individual feeling capable and empowered to create a new idea and propagate it in an organization. Well, that sounds really fascinating. Um, is there anything um, anything further that you'd want to mention about that? Yeah, the, 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 the research was driven at a very uh, granular level of that individual wanting to do the experimentation, um, which I didn't find much evidence of. It's not to say that it wasn't there, because I only interviewed the leadership team, because really it was around, I would want to understand from a leadership, executive leadership perspective, how they were leading the organization and how they saw the organization. And and what I concluded, uh, while I didn't get the evidence of that novel experimentation, there were three conditions that were needed for that to happen. First of all, you had to have the leadership culture 
uh, wanting to do that. They had to be ones that, that believed in the power of novel ideas and creating innovation through that. And I did find that to be the case. Just how it was executed was perhaps the challenge. The other one is, you know, if you've got the right culture and leadership, what practices are they enabling in their leadership styles to, to, to be exemplars of that? And so how do they include people? How do they create psychological safety? How do they reward the organization? Those types of things. So, the, And then the third aspect was, does your institutional culture support that? If you've got leadership teams that want to create innovation through experimentation and they have the right style, if there's nobody listening and that culture isn't there, then it, it's very difficult. But they all come together. Leadership culture, leadership style, and the culture of the organization can all be moved. And it's like three circles. If you get the three circles lying over top of one another, then you create that organization and the culture to allow innovation through experimentation to happen. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a, a few layers to it. There, there certainly are a lot of layers. When you're dealing with a large organization of people, uh, each person perhaps is a layer. And I don't mean a layer in the negative sense, but it's a layer that has to be understood and, and brought into the into the fold of thinking. Um, we're still typically hierarchical organizations with um, the president at the top and, and various layers below. And so the layers exist structurally. Um, and how do you work through those layers? How do you get people through each subsequent layer to understand what you're trying to accomplish, but also to, to lead in a manner that allows that experimentation? So as the president, I would work with my team to say, okay, go, go try something and let's learn. They have to have the same approach with, with their uh, direct reports. And then also, but how do they integrate with their teams as a whole and, and give permission to try that and allow it to happen? It takes time. People just don't all of a sudden go and start trying experimentation. Um, but it, it does take time, and it is a multi-layered challenge, as you mentioned. So you've talked to some of the institutional conditions that, that might need to be in place for this culture of innovation to thrive. Are, are there others as well? Nothing that comes to mind around that, Donna. It really is about relationships and people working together in a framework. I mean... It's got to be controlled experimentation to a degree. We, you know, uh, unchecked experimentation is chaos. Uh, the, the experimentation has to be driven towards a purpose. Why? Are, how are you able to improve what you're doing in support of the, the mission and vision and purpose of the institution? Um, it, it really is around the framing of the experimentation that people understand that it's it's got to achieve what we're here to accomplish. Uh, if it's... Uh, you know, if somebody wants to become a, a better hockey player uh, through experiment, I don't know that will work, but um, it, it doesn't fit. So there's, there, there are guardrails around it, but we got to be really careful that it's how do you, it's the yin and the yang of, of creativity versus chaos. You want to engender creativity, you want to give people the space, but it's got to be framed in the context of why we exist. And we've still got to do the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis while we're trying these experiments. So it's really small experiments. It's not, uh, to use a baseball analogy, it's uh, you, you, you want to get to first base. You're not worried about hitting the home run. Four singles get you a run. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, it can't be uh, just free for all, but, but the guidelines need to be kind of gentle, I suppose. That, that's absolutely right. And uh, frequent check-ins, uh, rather than letting some experiment run amok, and I don't know that they would, but it's you no know, checking. Are we is it getting to where I want to go? And if not, then step back before you go too far. 
So coming back to the college and um, do you have any specific goals or strategic priorities for this first year? Yeah, the first year is uh, is an interesting one for me. Uh, up to this point, I've largely been understanding. I'm a true believer in, it goes back to one of Stephen Covey's principles, seek first to understand before being understood. And uh, I've been able to spend Fortunately, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that, to, to really get to understand how the college operates. What's the culture? How are we doing? Uh, what are the things that we might want to aspire to? But also, how does the college integrate with the community? Uh, we're, uh, we're seen as a significant contributor to the community. I've certainly come to discover that. Uh, relationships are strong. But how do we then bring that all together and uh, do the best we can at the college for the reason that we exist? So that has been been part of what I'm doing, and I'll continue to do that. Um, you know, apart from making sure that I do the right thing, um, acting too quickly can be a challenge. But I think it's also disingenuous to come in and say, this has got to change right away without understanding the context or the background. It says to the people that are here that, you know, the work you did before isn't valued. Not, not the case. So I'm very careful about that. Over the first year really is to, to reaffirm our purpose, our vision, our mission. I'm not suggesting they're going to change, but it really is a reaffirmation of that. And then my style is to look at, you know, how are we achieving the, the vision and mission? What's the capabilities of the organization to achieve that in the, the rapidly changing world that we live in? I've used this quote many times and probably get sick of hearing it. That, and I don't know who to attribute to, unfortunately, but the world will never move slower than it is today. So how do we maintain relevance in that world? How do we deal with the, the, the political environment that we, we live in, the societal environment, the uh, financial environment? And I'm talking not just the college, but society as a whole. We, you know, that's changing quickly. And how do we help people be successful? Because ultimately, our, you know, our purpose is largely rooted in our students leaving here capable to do what their next step is, whether it's to get a job or to go to another post-secondary or know, travel Europe, perhaps. Um, but the same for, our, for employees. How are we there for them to help them aspire to what they want to be as individuals? And so underneath that, so the vision and, and mission, but what's the capabilities? What do we need to have in place? And what is it we need to do well to allow that to happen. And what are the, the strategies? What are the plans? What are the programs? What's the, what's the development? What's the succession in the organization that allows us to be capable? And as we move forward, what are we learning? As we try something, um, did it work as well as we thought? If not, what did we learn? And what do we need to do to reinforce our capabilities or add to them? Uh, what do we start doing? Maybe what do we stop doing? Uh, and so that's really the... The, you know, after my first year, to have that in place. Uh, but the key essence of all of that is that I want everybody to understand why they're here. What? Why are you here in, to enable our, our our purpose and our role? Not you specifically, why are you here, but the function that you do. And I want everybody to be able to draw a line to what they do as to why we exist. Faculty in the classroom, you know, it's, it's a fairly straight line. You're, you're enabling the learning. Uh, somebody in accounts payable, um, may say, well, what, what's my role in that? Well, your role is there because uh, if we if we pay our bills, we continue to get the supplies we need. But if we if we work well with our vendors, how are we getting better value for our money? So there's, and that enables us to do better things if we consume our resources as effectively as we can. So that really is the essence. Um, 
vision, mission, capabilities, learning, and what's your why? That that sounds like uh, lots to learn about and, and watch over a year. Yeah, and I wouldn't suggest that, uh, you know, come June 30th or September 6th, 2023, when my first year anniversary happens, that we can, you know, check it off and say, it's a journey, it's an evolution. We will always be needing to to revisit our vision and our mission. And I'm not saying in a in a, a grandiose manner, but just checking, are, are we doing what we really need to be doing? And are we capable of doing it? And so that's, that's an ongoing perspective. The why comes through great conversation, uh, but it also is ask, the, do you know why you're here? And if you don't do your job well, or if you're not capable for whatever reason, what's the impact on, on the purpose that we're here? Because um, I think everybody, and everybody I met does have it, they have passion for being here. But I think if people can really truly understand their why, then there's a, there's a heightened uh, self-value, self-worth about what you're doing here. Yeah, and that connection to to others and to the institution. It is, and it, we're, we're, a, we're a network of people and networks are connections. So connections are absolutely, absolutely critical in us being successful. Well, that's really exciting to hear. Um, we have some, uh, some fun questions yeah. now. Um, what is the best advice you've ever received? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it goes back early in my career as a, as a manufacturing engineer. We were working on some big projects and, and meetings, and my, my boss said to me, don't be afraid to say what you think. Um, I was a fairly shy person back then, still got an introverted side to me, but back in those days, you know, in a meeting, you know, starting your career, you're in a room with some pretty high-powered people, at least for my position at the time. And uh, that advice that says, you know what, we value your opinion, we want to hear what you have to say. Doesn't mean we agree with you, but you're given an opportunity. And and I've really kept that to heart over my career that the voice of everyone is important. Um, hierarchies tend to shut down voices. Positional power tends to shut down voices. But and I'm one to encourage people to to contribute um, and, and say what they think respectfully. Of course, I'm a big believer in in respect. Uh, but if you if you got a thought, say it because. Everybody has a different perspective on a situation, and that perspective might just be the light bulb moment for other people too. All right. The flip side to that is, what about the worst advice? <laughs> I had a summer job uh, installing network equipment when I was uh, in university, and, and one of the guys came in, and he said to me, he said he had just got a new credit card to supplement his income. You should think about getting more credit cards. And I thought, my God, I mean, this, I was you know, 19 years old at the time and didn't even have a credit card. And I think even then I thought, you know what, Something, something's not right here. Uh, and I think, you know, when you've been around long enough and you reflect on those key moments that you remember from, you know, a long time ago, they, they have threads through your life. And I think that helped me understand about personal financial management. And sometimes when you hear something, even if it's an older person, you think ah, that's... Uh, that's not quite right. Um, so on the one hand, I'm saying share your voice. On the other hand, I'm saying be careful what you listen to and, and what advice you take. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, all right. Are you getting settled into the city? Uh, slowly. Uh, we do have a, we purchased a house in, in Sunridge. So if the Southerners are saying I'm an idiot and the Westerners are saying way to go and the Northerners are saying I don't care. <laughs> 
And there's but, no east side in Lethbridge. I, I You've probably that. discovered. I yes, I did that. I did notice that. So yeah, we've we've got a we purchased a place. Uh, we're going through. It's it's a an, not an older house, but it's not a new house. So we're we're doing some you know, painting and and flooring changes. So we want to get that done before we physically move all the furniture in. We're almost here, but we've been able to spend a lot of time here uh, without having that. Uh, proper furniture. And I'm living like a Spartan right now, card table, chair, blow up mattress. So I'm looking forward to living like a civilized human again. Yes, I would imagine. It's always tricky when you're kind of in limbo. Yeah. Have you found any favorite spots so far? There's a couple of spots that um, certainly I, I had no understanding of the Japanese heritage in this part of the province. And so being at the gardens, uh, a couple of times being there for an event uh, is just just so impressive that you know this kind of jewel exists uh, in this part of the the province in in Lethbridge and you know maybe I just wasn't paying attention but I was not aware of it you know not living in Lethbridge so there's there's that piece uh, I the coolies are cool <laughs> uh, been an opportunity to to hike through the some of the coolies and just getting down and seeing the different plants and vegetation. Uh, that really was a bit of a, an awakening for me. And I've driven into Lethbridge a few times and, and driven by coolies in other parts of the province, but never thought much about them. But when you when you when you cross them every day, you realize that they're and that's been such an interesting um, understanding for me. Yeah, there's a lot more to the coolies once you start to get down in them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't. I knew they were water features through being being. Um, you know, created. Uh, but when you get down there, there's, you actually see there is water flowing through the bottom of them, often covered by some unique vegetation. But yeah, that's uh, that was really interesting for me to discover that. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so, what types of hobbies or activities do you enjoy? Uh, I like I like photography. Um, I, I you know I had used to have a the old film camera as a as a as a you know teenager early twenties and kind of got away from it for a while uh, and. It, Oh, you know, I've got a digital camera when they first came out and, you know, it's simple ones. But now that I've understood the, the, the sort of the creativity aspect of it, I was, I was drawn to the, you know, the digital photography, I guess, partly because of my technical background. I was fascinated by the technology of the different, you know, uh, aperture settings, film speed, shutter speed, those types of things, and really got drawn because with digital cameras, you can do so much and just experiment. Maybe that's part of it as well. Uh, but once you get past the technology, you realize that photography is is probably more an art form than it is a technical form, and so that's kind of awakening my more creative side. And, and I and thinking about composition and lighting, it's a it's a really interesting blend of technology and art. And I'm really fascinated by trying to create images that uh, are compelling and, and tell a story. Uh, and also with digital photography and, and applications like uh, Lightroom and, and Photoshop, you can be really creative and you can see you can see the impact immediately about what you're trying to create other than back in the film days where you take the film out and you put it and send it away or whatever. And a week later, you get back and hope that something turned out. It, it, it's one of those innovative technologies, I think, that has really allowed creativity to, to, to flourish in the minds of, of people who, who are driven and uh, find that it, uh, a, a great hobby to have. So that's certainly one that's emerged over the last, you know, probably seven or eight years. Um, I've had the opportunity to travel a fair bit, so I love taking photographs of where I've been. It's part of that memory and, and so on. So I, I, did, uh, I do that. 
I'd, I'd like to read, but I'll be honest, I haven't read as much as I'd like to. It's been too much, too much technical reading rather than fun reading. And the, the technicians are probably going to say, well, technical reading is fun reading. But uh, just a, every once in a while, it's nice just to get into a good story. But I do think, you know, if I think about why that is, um, the proliferation of uh, streaming sites, you know, Amazon, Netflix, and so on, there's such a wider range of interesting things to watch. So I think I've probably been drawn more to some of the the series uh, to watch, um, which is maybe, I don't know, maybe not good for the brain. Reading is a little more captivating uh, intellectually anyway. Well, that's a great segue into my next question. So um, have you got any good books or shows that you are watching currently? Um, nothing really compelling from a book, uh, reading some of Simon Sinek's work on, you know, the power of why, those types of things. But, you know, there's been some wonder, as I mentioned, there's been some wonderful, uh, streaming shows. I started watching one called The Peripheral, which is just on new on Amazon. It's about, uh, the VR world where the VR world becomes the real world. And there's some nefarious subplots that are emerging. So I've only had three episodes into that, uh, of course, you know, like many others, a big Game of Thrones fan when it was out. Uh, Ted Lasso on on Apple TV. I think that's just one of the most brilliant shows I've ever seen. Uh, to go back to one of your earlier questions, Don, there's so many layers in it and uh, leadership examples and just how situations unfold. So there's some of the ones. Um, my wife likes to watch Virgin River and stuff like that, so I get to watch those too. And so I'm getting a, a well-rounded... Uh, range of uh, what I'm able to, to watch. Oh, well, that's wonderful. What are you most excited about or striving for in the years to come, um, both personally and professionally? Well, that's a wonderful question. Uh, well, certainly professionally, um, when, my, when my time at Lethbridge College is, is over, there's a certain level of ego that you want to believe that you actually made an impact, that the institution was stronger and more capable because of the capability of the people in it. So, and it's not that it's not a, it's not a problem here now, but it's, it's that growth and, and capability into the emerging world. So certainly from, you know, there's that ego that you want to know that you made a, a positive difference. Um, so that there, there's only that on a professional basis. On a personal basis, it's, uh, I love to discover, uh, you know, I talked about photography being discovery. My dissertation was discovery. My time here has been about discovery. I'm an, an avid learner. I love to learn about different things. So uh, you don't always know what you want to learn down the road. Uh, that'll emerge. Uh, but it's still around that. Maybe I'll be a world-renowned photographer one day. But uh, also around just keeping healthy, uh, healthy lifestyles of you know keeping active, um, eating good, you know, having a good diet, um, so those are really kind of the, the aspirations and, you know, continue to enjoy the time with my family, you know, above all families, number one. Well, you certainly sound like, like a true educator, <laughs> and, you know, someone who loves to learn. And, and I mean, that's what education is all about too, yeah. is that learning and the growth and, you know, and, and striving to improve. It, it is, uh, you know, I didn't start off my career in education. I'm an engineer and was in the manufacturing sector for, for many, many years and then came into post-secondary, I wouldn't say by accident, but it wasn't by design. I had a call from a recruiter and, you know, here I am. Um, but, you know, one thing I, w- I, w- I would love to see in society is that all that desire to constantly learn. Uh, people, you know, if you have a fixed mindset, uh, you're trapped. 
Um, so don't be afraid to learn. Um, always keep that uh, that curiosity alive. Um, and there's so much to learn. Um, but I think I've seen so much evidence of it that people that continue to learn continue to flourish as, as an individual. And so that, you know, if I had wave my magic wand, you know, society would be one that wants to learn. But learning just for the sake of learning isn't enough. It's got to be what do you do with the learning? Well, thank you so much, Brad. It's been really amazing to talk to you and get to know you. And uh, this has been quite fascinating. And uh, thank you very much for uh, being on the Learning Innovation Podcast today. Well, Donna, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed. And every time these questions are asked, the questions are learning because you're thinking and you're trying to assimilate ideas and, and concepts. So yeah, I, I love the opportunity and be glad to, to do another one down the road if you see fit. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Brad Donaldson as guest. Jordana Gagnon was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Daryl Benebeck, Joel Godry, Kelsey Jansen, and Jamin Heller for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more information and inspiration, check out learninginnovation.ca. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and follow us on your chosen platform. Thanks for listening and take care.